0: This week on Trek, Mary, Kill...
1: Romulans, Neutrinos, Worf! Next time on Star Trek, The Next Generation, Geordi is missing in action on a deadly planet. Geordi! Mr. Wolf, launch the probe. A violent storm blocks the crew's desperate search to find him. Will he survive?
0: I can't see!
1: And his fate lies with the enemy.
0: are my prisoner! On
1: Star Trek, The Next Generation.
0: Trek, marry, kill. Hi, I'm Brian.
1: Hi, I'm Katie.
0: Welcome to Trek Mary Kill, a podcast that must judge episodes of Star Trek carefully or risk history judging us with Pearl Harbor and Station Salem One as a stage for a bloody preamble to war. Or whatever, it's not that serious, right? Our 200th theme month continues with The Enemy, which was the seventh episode of Star Trek The Next Generation's third season. It premiered in syndication on November 6th, 1989. Uh, The episode was written by David Kemper and showrunner Michael Piller, and directed by david carson and uh, i've once again uh dragooned katie hampton into uh service here for for this episode
1: <laughs> you very rarely hear dragooned that's right <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what this is this is a service and i have pulled you into it <laughs> maybe against your will <laughs>
1: Not at all. No, I mean, it's Star Trek. I can totally talk about Star Trek.
0: That's my thinking for a lot of this. I'm like, you know, if someone wants me to come on their show and talk about Star Trek. Oh, man, I'm in. I'm going to drop a lot of stuff to do that. So this is exactly why
1: <laughs> I mean, I, 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 am fairly, like it, it's kind of been a weird new year in that like, I have been a little bit busy, which is a new thing for me. Uh, so I suggested a couple of people, for brian to have on the show and then i just got i was drowning and people being like oh i can do that i have a lot of opinions on star trek yeah
0: i like because now i'm talking to those people and and it's great but i'm also getting like their curation of like i know this much about star trek i know these shows and i'm i love it all thank you so i appreciate great. it you'll hear some of those voices hopefully in the next few months uh Kristen will be on a bit of a hiatus coming up here soon, but uh, don't worry. She's still got some episodes in the bank, and she'll be back. In the meantime, very happy to have Katie, who's been helping us with our animated spotlights, which you can listen to. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But um, her enthusiasm for Star Trek The Next Generation, especially in this episode, which I thought was really important. I wanted to have you on for this one because there was a spot in the schedule. So the enemy. <laughs>
1: The enemy. What I completely forgot about this episode. And, oh, it just gives me chills thinking about it. Like, what a well-written episode.
0: Yeah. So, LaForge and a Romulan are trapped on a planet, ravaged by electromagnetic storms. Worf turns out to be the only viable donor to save the life of another injured Romulan who happens to be aboard the Enterprise. Uh, So, this one's all about overcoming or even just living within our prejudices. And it's a big story probably the most mature story involving the Romulans since balance of terror. Uh, I mean, the enterprise incidents kind of silly. It's interesting. It's definitely got the Romulan commander and Spock and that relationship's great. Uh, and then you've got uh, like contagion, you know, you know where the Romulans are in it, you know, they're involved in some way, but it's not quite where they're seen as, as three dimensional as anything other than plotting. And this one, although very Shakespearean performances by both Romulans, <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I do i have
1: i have notes i will say i might have been a teeny bit inebriated so my notes kind of get slowly <laughs> destructive as they go on but I, I thought the uh the romulan that's down on the planet with Jordy went a little caveman in the
0: beginning <laughs> and Bakri, yes absolutely oh, yeah. and So like you said, this is 35 years old and and, you you forgot about it, but for me, it's stuck with me for almost as long as I've seen it, but it was one of those where you remember it and then you remember it maybe fondly. And then Mm. when Star Trek hit streaming, when it was on Netflix and you could just watch, just go down the (laughs) down the list. And I remember hitting this one again, being like, I remember this one. And then, uh, and then seeing it again it's like whoa wait a minute
1: it felt like there was some kind of a commentary they were like hitting on at the time but i i was trying to think of like okay 89 what are we really talking about and i was like maybe i'm just thinking of like modern day writers who just have to comment on everything happening in the zeitgeist but (laughs) i was like what cold war like what what is this like comparison it's so beautifully written
0: yeah, I think that's great. I think maybe we are like Cold War, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union is kind of right around the corner, I think. I can't remember when yeah. uh, when the wall, be- you know, the Berlin it Wall fell. came down, maybe somewhere in this range. I can't remember. Yeah. I know there's a lot of older listeners going, oh, these children. I
1: know, know, I know. I'm going to regret everything I say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but do you, so we've talked about, like, do you remember the first time you saw this episode, maybe? Um, I definitely remember this one. Um, seeing this one after it had aired, like I hadn't started watching next generation yet. So this is one I caught on repeats. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess one thing I just want to mention about that, and I don't want to, there's stuff in the other grades that will, that will bring this in, but like visually there's something about it. That's not really, uh, again, I started watching the show in basically season four and in this episode, it didn't, doesn't look like a lot of other Star Trek episodes. It's like a very well-produced episode and then the high def restoration like the the blacks the a lot of it looks really great but um i guess i have a like a a word problem for you i guess or an ethical moral question would you donate blood to your enemy which is the subplot of this story
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay you posed this question to me and i couldn't stop thinking about it um so much to the point where i was like okay i mean i probably would but i am also not of the, like, opinion that somebody somebody foreign has killed my family in front of me. (laughs) Like, I haven't had that version of trauma.
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: and But then I was starting to think, I was like, okay, what if an alien race came down, killed my family in front of me, and then sometime, what, like, five, seven years in the future, they're like, your blood is the only blood that can save this person who's of the race of alien who killed your family in front of you. I feel like I might be... With Worf on this, and this is kind of what I love about this episode, is this moral conundrum and then also Picard's moral conundrum of whether or not he has to give him a direct order to go against his own will.
0: So that's happened. great. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point, because, yes, I think on the surface, I remember this episode as it's a Geordie episode. It's the one where he stuck with the Romulan down on the planet. But everything on the ship is as compelling and in their own ways kind of like differently, more compelling. Like the Wharf story is like way it's a more like that could have been the whole episode. And right. you would have been like, that's a pretty interesting idea. Instead, it's this incredible uh Uh, human ethics and morals versus alien ones, Worf's actual lived experience and his insistence, but also his like sense of duty. It's like, if you order me, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like just presenting this interesting dilemma, but then you've got Picard doing the Star Trek military dilemma of like, I might have to start a war with the Romulans to maintain our principles. I can't show them that we're weak and they're clearly in the wrong. And I have to, and he's like not bending you know you expect picard he's like i'm gonna surrender (laughs) let's talk about this
1: i'm not gonna risk an all-out war with the federation and
0: the romulans And, and this time the whole time he's like in no uncertain terms like do not cross the neutral zone this is what's gonna happen okay i guess i'm gonna have to fight this romulan ship with my ship uh and that's interesting and then everything on the planet i thought was really compelling
1: yeah. And you know what? I, I feel like if nothing else, this is a beautiful episode to just kind of revisit, especially during our time of Russian and Ukrainian war.
0: <laughs> All of our conflicts for sure. Yeah. You know. I, I'm not dodging the question. Would I donate blood to my enemy? I think if I'm in warf circumstances and also, by the way, in the intervening or interceding years from that incident where his parents are killed to now he's being asked to donate blood. the The Romulan reputation has not improved. No, not <laughs> the at only thing all. It's gotten worse. No, yeah, <laughs> so. and, and
1: they're and they're threatening their whole yes. ship. Like they're threatening war. Like right. it, it's it's high stakes. And I was actually I was kind of impressed by this episode. I completely forgot how high the stakes were, mostly because Jordy out of nowhere turns into like a superhero of <laughs> decorum <laughs> and working with the enemy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which was like a really cool thing to see, juxtaposing Wharf, who's just like, I, I can't go against this. Like, I can't give my blood to my enemy. Who, and it's funny because I, I, even wrote down. I was like, look, if it was another human, and it was in like five, seven years, and I don't know if it was a Russian, I would absolutely, I would give blood to save somebody's life. Like, it's another human being. I don't. He wasn't involved. He or she wasn't involved in the war or whatever, but but like an alien race, that's like not another human. That was the thing that kept, I kept going up against a wall and I was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm with Worf.
0: (laughs) See that let, I think that the alien thing is what is your way of taking the part of our vengeance brain or human nature. And you were able to funnel it into something that makes you a good person. And I'm just going to stick with, I'm part Irish. So the idea (laughs) of vengeance exists. And, uh, and so for me, I actually my answer would be like if it's a child, if it's essentially a non-combatant, a child or an elderly person, I'm probably gonna do it, especially with these political ramifications, if they're the same. If it's a soldier, especially if it's a the sol- soldier? Yeah. If it's a, okay, see great. If it's a British soldier, <laughs> go to hell. Like, sorry, I'll see you there, but later, you know, that kind of thing. And it's I don't know. I think that's kind of the line I drew. But I guess I also to answer the question. I think we're kind of both agreeing. Uh, the question, the other question I asked was, was Worf in the right or wrong in your opinion? I think we're both kind of saying like, well, he was in the right. Because it was yeah. his personal, like it's his blood. He has the choice to donate if he wants. Oh, so there is and, no right or wrong answer, really.
1: And I know we'll probably do the quotes and things a little bit later on in the episode. But um, boy, Worf has one of the absolute best lines when um oh let me find it i am asked to give up the very lifeblood of my mother and my father to those who murdered them what a line
0: <laughs> right yeah and it's like, a soldier right it's not like a civilian or anything yeah. like that like and dr krusher's like thing. Yeah, Doctor Crusher is saying like, "Well, this Romulan soldier didn't ki- kill your parents," but it's kind of like, "Well, a Romulan soldier killed his parents." Right. This very easily could have been the same guy. Um, it's like it's yeah. like
1: if you get food poisoning from Subway's tuna fish sandwich, and you're like, "Well,
0: that tuna fish sandwich
1: gave you food poisoning." To do all tuna fish sandwiches? Right. Like, I have a big aversion now.
0: <laughs> oh, I've gotten Zanku chicken in. Uh, food poisoning two consecutive times from Zanku no. Chicken, three years apart.
1: Oh, well, so, I guess so, this is not an ad for Zanku.
0: No, so <laughs> so to me, it's like, I'm good. I don't ever need to go to one of those for sure. Right. Uh, and that's just food poison. The stakes could not be lower. So <laughs>
1: But hey, it's the equivalent of two parents dying in front of
0: you. <laughs> it felt, like, you know, uh, uh, both evenings, it certainly felt like it. So I remember it was that. the death very of clear. your intestines. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so Warf has to make a tough choice. I think the Picard choice is, you know, uh, there's. That's, it's just something we forget. I think it gets lost in yeah. history of like, Picard is a tough guy kind of in this episode. And, uh and then the Jordy again, the Jordy thing is just, that's what I remember about this one the most, is that he's right. kind of a badass in this one. But just one, just to kind of add on to the Wharf thing one last time. So Michael Dorn on Memory Alpha, I think it's in one of these Star Trek books, you know, he was asked about this episode specifically. He said that I called the producers and said, I didn't agree. I thought giving blood was actually the honorable thing to do. I thought people would look at Worf as a murderer. The producers felt that Worf was getting to be too human, just a guy with a big head. And when the opportunity came for them to show that Worf was not human, that he's not bound by the same morals as we are, they felt it was a wonderful opportunity. And he agreed with that decision in hindsight. Um, I think I agree with both sides because the way we understand Worf now, especially after through Deep Space Nine, it's like, you know, he's the most honorable Klingon, all that stuff. So there's a version where Worf's like, I will spare your life because you are weak. (laughs) You are not a friend to me. Uh, I could see that for sure. But I, I think this is Worf essentially in his like prime. He's young. You know what I mean? Like it's still a raw memory for him. I can absolutely see this making sense, you know, going after going through the dominion war and the Worf we see in Star Trek Picard, like that Worf, you can imagine like giving blood, but it makes perfect sense in this one. <laughs> the one that was always willing to pull a phaser and shoot the view screen. Remember in yep. the seasons one and two, it's like, that yes. makes perfect sense. So, uh, And Worf but, is a pretty
1: progressive Klingon think, yes. in comparison to all Klingons. But at this point, I love that, especially in his character arc that we've all seen throughout
0: all the different series and stuff. He's
1: not there yet. He, he's no. not Zen Daddy Wharf at the end of Picard.
0: <laughs> he has not started nursing his sand garden or whatever it is. Yet. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so as much as there's Wharf controversy in the episode, I want to bring it right back to the Jordy part of it, uh, because I, I just think, why not talk about LeVar Burton? Why not? We we don't do it enough, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's really non check Mary kill. Uh, he was... Probably the most famous person on the cast. Definitely the most famous person on the cast when the series started. Uh, I don't know about you. I know we're definitely pretty far apart in age, but uh, he was definitely reading rainbow was my first oh, awareness God. of, of LeVar Burton.
1: I, I only knew him as the reading rainbow guy until my mom would sit me down and be like, you should watch this star Trek show. I think he'd really like it. Um, and, I, I was like, but that's the reading rainbow guy. Like, what's he doing in a spaceship? <laughs> and is he blind? He yeah, can't be he's blind. wearing he
0: sunglasses indoors. What's yeah, that exactly, all that? <laughs> Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. So, and I I honestly thought that um, he did a wonderful job in this episode. Like, I he he kind of goes into like badass Jordy in this, and I I don't you don't really see like you see nerd Jordy quite a bit. Like, yes help solve things and like one of the first things he does is what I thought was like creating a shiv. He Jordy Laforges a shiv. Mm. It's in put, the name. It's in the name. It's in the name. And I put I'm really proud of this pun. Don't judge me. <laughs> uh,
0: I am a pro pun podcaster. Others may not be, but I am. So.
1: Okay. Well perfect. Yeah. I was I was so proud of that.
0: As well but, he yeah. should
1: be. <laughs> and then uh, and then you know and he meets the romulan and he's he's essentially like i love that every gaff the romulan throws at him he's just like stop dude like we're both in this together like we should work together to get out of this we both want to live we don't want to die in this um which is just it's just not a side of geordie that i feel like we've seen at this point in the series um that he's cool headed and he's got all the answers and sort of Jack Reachery. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, he engineers his way out of that hole. That's the, the whole thing. So, I mean, it's because later on they just get a bunch of younger dudes writing the show. And so he becomes incel Jordy you know there, there's <laughs> yeah. like Jordy. this is the Jordy that is written by reddit or is a proto reddit later on and and LeVar Burton's like why do they have to do Jordy like that why yeah. is he so unlucky with women and this and that and and that's why he appreciated in Star Trek Picard season three it's like oh Fox, he has kids and you know <laughs> like he has he is cool and all that and he is cool and and it, it's weird to just think about like what he became in the show is not really where he started. And it's weird to also think that the seventh episode of the third season might well have been his peak of being cool, which is really weird because he's great. The rest of the show, you're always happy to see him, but like as the characters written and what he's doing, this is basically it. Uh, And it's weird to consider that this episode was also supposed to be he and Troy on the planet. That was the original concept, which, uh, which Troy uh, Marina Sardis was actually able to see that version of the script and then they changed it all. And this happens sometimes you'll get like, you know, you'll get your white pages and that's your first draft. And then there'll be a wild rewrite for reasons we don't know, but on right. uh, um, memory alpha. just want to point out. Uh, so Troy was trapped on galorne core put a pin in that listeners because galorne core <laughs> That's also stuck with me because of the way Patrick Stewart says it. <laughs> oh. and cool. It's like, dude, yeah. it's like, it's a weird name the way they say it. And when you read it, it's like, that's not unusual, but it certainly is maybe trickier to read. Anyway, I would think
1: it's more iconic when P. <laughs> Stew talks about it. It's called Old and
0: cool. It sounds, yes, it sounds really impressive. Uh, yes. So Marina of saw, uh, she thought of this rewrite as an example of her character remaining underutilized and underdeveloped. De- she recalled in the original draft, which I happened to read, which we're not allowed to see. We d- so we don't make conversations like this. It was Troy and Jordy stranded on the planet and because Jordy was blinded by the electromagnetics, preventing his visor from working. When we came across the Romulan, it was actually Troy who incapacitated him. I felt very excited about this. I finally got to do something interesting and different. And of course, when the final script came out, not only was I not on the planet, but I had one line at the end of the show and that was actually cut. She had she actually had like two lines, but uh, <laughs> they're yeah. not great lines either. But they're, they're no. yeah. uh, that's the kind of thing that happens. And I wish it wouldn't. So that's a bummer. But yeah. at the same time, I think this episode is, if not radically different. I think it's probably not as good in the sense of like the one on one is because it's it's Jordi and Bakra. It's Worf and and this other Romulan, but it's kind of like this ethical dilemma. And then it's Picard versus Tomaloc. Uh And and I think that's what actually makes the the enemy, as the plural, make sense. But at the same time, it's like, I, I like Marina Surgis. I like when Troy's in more stuff. And I think as much as they must have heard her complaint, because I think Troy gets... I guess if you were to really think about it, I guess let me just ask you straight out. Do you think the rest of the show, Troy gets more to do or Jordy gets more to do the rest of Next Generation in your memory? Just a recollection.
1: That is interesting. Well,. Here's the thing, Marina Sirtis is wonderful and amazing, but they overloaded her with psychic rape stories, <laughs> and it was
0: like really yeah.
1: unfortunate uh, um, that they had to basically do that all the time. Um, and Jordy gets to like engineer his way out of many situations, so I would say probably he gets to, to... be the
0: Manchurian candidate at some yeah. point. Yeah, and,
1: you know, like he gets he gets to science his way out of things whereas Marita Sirtis has to like I don't know fight mental predators constantly and yeah. uh, so I not that she didn't have much to do but I do think that they wrote her a little bit better further into different seasons um, but I, I would agree with her like her, she had a very underdeveloped character for the first couple of seasons
0: and I actually think my this is my recollection I don't disagree with you I just think that her seasons three and four were actually the best version of troy as Mm. like what the counselor's job is right now does that mean that all the episodes were great no because i'm actually thinking of like the price where she falls in love with that guy who's like bidding on something or whatever and (sighs) then the lost where she loses her telepathic ability that was a bad one that season four but I just think Michael Piller had a very firm hand or had a really good idea of what he wanted to do with that character. And then as his hands kind of went right. off the show yes that the that what was left was what we got was like uh what if she was raped <laughs> you know it just right. kind of just came down uh, to that like she's the damsel uh, in distress yeah exactly
1: also she has a really weird overbearing mom uh <laughs> right well that's
0: a roddenberry quirk they just kind of had to incorporate in the show for sure yeah <laughs> um but also okay so then just to bring it back to lavar burton because again this was a great geordie spotlight episode i've already mm. mentioned this you know on the picket lines geordie or lavar burton was there one time he is as uh, bright and shiny as you might expect. It's just dazzling. He's got the riz. He's a great, great whatever. Uh, if you go and listen, though, to the Shuttle Pod show with um, Dominic Keating. Yeah, Trip Tucker. Anyway, they have a podcast. And uh, Michael Dorn was interviewed during the Star Trek Picard season three promo run. And he mentioned that at some point in the show's run, it was in the early days. And I don't know when it got resolved. That that uh, Lavar Burton and Michael Dorn were not um, friends. Connor Trenier, thank you. <laughs> I, <got> you. <laughs> I will not. I will not edit that. Just let it sit there. <laughs> uh, my my age or or my COVID fog, one of the two. Uh, oh that, no, you know, do I'll you have the fog? I'm over it, and but I'm definitely noticing certain little yeah. weird gaps. So there's that. No, I um, I
1: get it. it. It's hard, especially when it comes to actor names. It's like, wait, whoop, the guy yeah. from the thing. <laughs>
0: Which all that said, it's like, if well, Brian, your body's back to full health. All that happened is you forget a few actor names. I think I'll take that trade off. True. um,
1: It's not that bad. (laughs) uh,
0: Yeah. So Michael Dorn mentioned that he and LeVar Burton weren't, you know, they weren't friendly. They weren't necessarily against each other so much, but there was a a conflict going on in the early days of the show. And it was such a weird story that I was surprised that when LeVar Burton then came on the show as part of the run, they didn't ask him about it. Maybe – Maybe they did one before the other. I'm not sure. But it's an interesting thought because it's kind of hard to imagine that LeVar Burton has a problem with anybody. A beef with anyone? <laughs> yeah, a like... beef with anyone. <laughs> or like, did there be any issues? I just remember that story. So I just want to convey that. Go find those episodes um, and listen to those interviews. Those are great. The LeVar Burton interview is incredible. It made me love him even more. And you hear wow. about him after Roots, like how he became a big celebrity. He has the story about how his agent or manager – would like, she'd learn what clubs he's going to. And she'd like hang out in the back to make sure he stand out of trouble. It just, no like, way. That. It's like he, and he, so basically he always, the way he talks and the way he presents himself as uh, he's appreciative of his career. It really seems like, and I'm so sorry to get religious, but it's again, I'm part Irish. I've had the Catholic upbringing. <laughs> There's a part of him that feel that he certainly acts like I've been blessed my entire life. I've always felt like someone's looking after me. Or whatever. And like he seems very appreciative of his success and his fame. And what I love is that that doesn't, that that seems to unburden him in his performances because he really turns the Jordy character into something because of just who he is. Like we love Jordy yeah. because we love LeVar Burton and. That's why the character works at all, which is a funny thing to say, to think. Even when he was an incel, right? When he was <laughs> having bad luck with the ladies or <laughs> complaining to Whoopi Goldberg, complaining to in about how things aren't right. going well, it's like, oh, we don't care. Like we, right. we're not like
1: we still love we love yeah. you, Jordy. Right. Not even though the ladies don't like you.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> we we're not you. perceiving of him as a loser, even though it's Ron Moore writing his troubles with the ladies in as Jordy, but it's. Filtered through LeVar Burton saying it's like, ah, you know, you're the chief engineer. You got more important things to do. Who cares? <laughs> so, right. It'll right. be
1: fine. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Uh, there's a really great TED talk by Elizabeth Gilbert who um, wrote the E Pray Love book. And she talks about sort of the artist and like, keeping the the ego ego used to be um something that was outside of like so whenever you were an artist in like ancient greek days you would have your uh genius on the outside it would help you or it would hinder you and if you were a great artist your genius was great and was really helpful and if your um art was bad then your genius kind of sucked and needed a little help and wonderful talk i cannot recommend it enough but i feel like whether it's a religious thing for uh, for LeVar Burton or whether it's just sort of his own artistic sensibility, but he seems to have that beautiful buffer in everything he does as Kunta Kente um, slash not Toby <laughs> in Roots, you know, as uh, LeVar Burton in Reading Rainbow or as Jordi LaForge. He always seems to be almost like the person that you want to have on your project because he is so enthused and a wonderful person just to begin with and as an actor like that's something to it's something to aspire to absolutely
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. um one last note before getting to the grades because uh, i know a lot of people love the movie the fugitives <laughs> <laughs> yes of course of course <laughs> this episode the enemy introduces commander Tomalok, played by andreas katsoulis who was also, is it Gakar? Jakar on uh, Babylon 5, Ambassador right. Jakar for many years. Uh, he was the one-armed man in the Fugitive movie. That's the probably the way most people know him. But to me, he's always he's always going to be Commander Tomalak. Rest Tomalak. in peace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, it, it fluctuates between Tomalak and Tomalak. If Patrick Stewart saying it, Tomalak.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite things is that whenever we're having dinner, my husband and I will, like, he'll ask to pass the salt and pepper, but he will always do it in Patrick Stewart's way of announcing salt and pepper's performance on SNL. (laughs) He's like, like,
0: salt and pepper. (laughs) Uh, A nice John Mulaney bit about that too. Yes, yes, yes. yes.
1: (laughs) Hundred
0: <laughs> percent. All right. Should we get into the grades, or is there let's any? Uh, okay, let's do it. All right. So, great scenes. Why don't you go ahead? Kick us off.
1: Um, I as as much as I loved Jordy's scenes, um, I with I kept kept calling him Baccarat in my notes.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's on the planet with Bert Baccarat. It's Bert a musical time, yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> as we all know, but um, the scenes with Worf and Riker, um, Riker trying to be like hey you know what if we make a treaty with the Romulans what are you going to do then Um, or the scene with Worf and Picard everybody just trying to reason with Worf and Worf giving very good solid reasoning that why he wouldn't donate his blood those two scenes just they blew me out of the water like it was just it hit on such a level that Star Trek hits on That I'm like, I I don't understand how I'm empathizing with this alien person so hard. Like, I don't know what I would do in that situation. I really don't. And I also realized when Picard, one of the greatest things he did when you think he's going to give the command where you have to give your blood, um, he instead dismisses Worf. I was like, I this is why I don't want to be a leader. <laughs> this is why I don't want to be a politician. This is why I don't want to be in the military because I could never I get myself to a place where I'd be like, sure, let's risk war so that you can keep your morals.
0: Right. But also just, you know, he has the right to control his body, you know? and right. And Picard has to balance the individual, the needs of the many versus many the, needs, versus of the, the needs of the few. So <laughs> he's doing that and he's saying like, You know, what are the exigent circumstances or the extenuating circumstances? The full context is the Romulans were caught on the wrong side of the border. What were they doing there? So do they have a duty to save this person's life? And I think the answer is to a point. And if the point happens to be one of my officers, the only officer who could give blood, chooses not to that is the point where i can't go i think that's the calculation but yeah i i like that scene it's right it's near the end and Mm -hmm. i really love that scene because uh wharf is very much like and he's not angry he's not he's not angsty about it he's he's just very plainly saying you know if you order me i'll do it and he's not like he's not indicating like but please don't make me do that like he's just saying i'm just saying this is what i believe i this is as far as i can go but i also respect everything we're doing here and if you tell me to i will and then but this is the line that shows you how much michael pillar and the show matured in season three Mm. because patrick stewart goes oh uh you know i'd like to think picard saying like basically like i like to think i'm fair to my officers and all that stuff right. and war says i have no have had no reason to complain and picard says oh lieutenant i don't think you would complain ever ever, ever even if you wanted yeah. to basically um and and i think that was like in a, a a way of not continuity that's like such a weird like way to reduce it it's just to show that these are real people in a mm. in a real situation It's a way to dramatically convey that. Like this is the guy that Worf was or Picard was saying in the first episode. Do you want to shoot the view screen, Lieutenant? <laughs> you want to always springing action to kill or shoot or whatever. And but at the same, this reflects like I see you as a person, as an officer under my command, and everything you've done in the way. Like it's respect. It's just a way of conveying respect in a way that makes this feel very lived in in a relationship. And you're totally right. Then it's just the schmuck bait of like, Oh, he's gotten the serious voice. He's going to give the command. And then Nope, he he doesn't. Um, He just
1: dismisses them. And I love massive credit to Michael Dorn in that performance. He didn't, he didn't indicate anything. He was, Calm as a cucumber. I mean, until he starts talking to the Romulan, who's just like, I wouldn't even want your blood. And it's like, okay, we'll let that bitch die. And then he does, Yeah. uh, which spoilers, but um, (laughs) it was such an incredible performance, keeping it under lock. Because all of that emotion, you know, any novice actor would go overboard with. And he's just like, this is just how it is. This is, I, I could never face my own people if I did this.
0: He's not holding it tightly. Right. They're like, hey, you could save this guy's life. You're like, but I'm not. But no, I won't. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a microphone in his face, but it can start a war. I don't care. Are we sure? <laughs> like, it's just that mean Zancou, guy. Go,
1: you could go back to Zancud Chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that.
0: <laughs> I get chicken somewhere else. Yeah. It's, exactly. No <laughs> it's uh, I, think that's, I think that's a really good point is that Worf in this episode, I think what helps all the performances for all these characters, even Bakker, which we'll get to in a second, <laughs> Like, I think <laughs> all of them are pitched great and they. I'm not sure I liked Frake's performance in this episode really, actually, but, mm. uh, or McFadden's performance, the way they were kind of acting yeah. was like, well, why wouldn't you just give the point? Gates,
1: Gates <laughs> kind of goes hard on, on him, which is why she didn't quite make it to my greatest scenes, but it was just like, come on, man, do the yeah. right thing. And it's like, what the it-
0: no, <laughs> I, I think the writing in the Riker scene was probably, I actually liked this, the way the crusher scene was written because hers is much more medical. She's yeah. kind of like just approaching it from a doctor standpoint. Right. The Riker soft sell is one I couldn't quite get behind. He's like, we were enemies and now we're not. And then, but Worf has like sort of a different thought about it. Of like, it's a little bit different than that, <laughs> what you're saying. And And then there's the whole element of, like, Crusher having him go look at the Romulan and talk to him again. So they're really trying to, like, shame him. They're trying every way they can because that is what they want, which is why Riker's saying... It doesn't matter what I think didn't it felt flat to me. I'm like, well, this is all about what you think you think you should do it. That's why you called him in here. That's why you're part of this whole chain to like push him into doing that. And there's a version where Worf is maybe a little more resentful or he's a little more questioning, but it's also his superior officer. So he is. They're kind of abusing their power. (laughs) They
1: totally are. I mean, like they're trying to mentally manipulate him into doing what they believe is the right thing. And um, it's. Yes, i think that's I, why that's why that makes the picard decision to not give him the command so much more important yes. because it I, I exactly what you said Worf has body bodily autonomy and like, as someone who's just like pro plain parenthood i'm like yeah that's no. that's the hard decision that you have to make because
0: yeah and i and see the reason that why it works is the uh, for the episode being called the enemy it's like they might be your enemy but they're still a person is sort of at the end of that question right like tom O'Lock is conveying i care about the safety of my men and picard's calling bullshit on that <laughs> right both could, both could be right you know what i mean and totally. and and there's an act of trust at the end with your enemy it's like picard is gambling i think that's a great scene picard being the oh. brink playing brinksmanship is a it's a great scene and this is maybe the qu- the difference between Picard and Kirk, is that C- Kirk will hold the the poker face until it's over, and Picard the whole time he's like, they can't see me, right? And he's right, like right. he's like giving a command and then kind of gulping. He's like, I don't know about this, but <laughs> this is this is what we're doing. And this, um, could, be and what, uh, this, this could be a career or life ender. This could be a big deal. But the brinksmanship, you know, every. Every part of that, of this episode was essentially can I, uh, are, is there, hu- to boil it down, because, you know, Star Trek's ultimately about human beings, whether they're aliens or not. And it's like, sure. is this, is my enemy still a person at the end of the day? Right. And that's the gamble that Jordy makes. He tries mm-hmm. to appeal to, you know, Bakra's humanity Agreed. or yeah. person. Yeah. Person-ness, yes.
1: Lifelihood. Yes.
0: And, and Picard does that too. And it's also interesting that in all three storylines, lives are putting being put in someone else's hand. In in um, the Worf storyline, the Romulan's life is in his hands. On the planet, they're, both of their lives are kind of in each other's hands, and they have to decide what they're going to do with that. And then at the end, surprisingly, Picard is putting his life in Tomalak's hands. So there's all of that. But that's why I the Riker scene to me felt slightly flat. I actually liked Crusher's two scenes, the one where she can't believe it. That makes perfect sense. Because right. she's kind of treating it like matter-of-factly. Like, well, you could save really? his life. And then Worf stands and goes, then he will die. And I'm like, this as soon as, soon as on the rewatch, I was like, this is a fucking awesome
1: episode. Yeah, it really is. No, it was so funny because I was like... Oh, it's going to be a Jordy episode. Oh, we're just going to get him whining. And then I was like, Oh, wait, no this is a this is really a Wharf episode. Yes. Like every description is like it's a Jordy episode, Jordy episode. I'm like, it's actually not a Jordy episode. <laughs> it's he's really not, and movie.
0: he's not whining. He's he's frustrated, no. and he's also he's he goes the whole range of hu- human emotions. He's like uh, charming, and he's also frustrated, but he's also you know happy, sad, confused, all those things. So all of it, uh, tired,
1: well, you know. Yeah. He, he turns into a hero. Like, I mean, he's he's kind of that ultimate ideal of like progressivism at the end where it's like, we work together. And you're like, right. whoa, cool. And I love that they put that in there because without that, you know, you just have a Romulan die on you. And it's yeah. like, I, I don't understand why they don't go to war, you know? So it's such a great juxtaposition with like how these two characters dealt with not, Similar circumstances, but fairly similar circumstances of like saving a Romulan's life.
0: Yes. So, I mean, just to run down real quick, I thought the teaser where Riker, Worf, and Geordi beam down to the planet because they're answering an unknown distress call. We'll find out. They don't, they, there's no idea what it is. It's just a distress call. They find out it's Romulans and then Geordi falls in a hole and, yeah. uh, and, and Worf and Riker find a Romulan Worf finds him first. And the first thing the Romulan does is try to kill him. He strangles <laughs> strangle him and then Worf punches him in the face. I'm like, well, that could have killed him. <laughs> Honestly, blunt force like, yeah, trauma yeah, might've yeah, been yes. it. <laughs> but I just thought that that scene was great because it's, It's exciting, it's interesting, but also it looks really cool. Like especially Mm -hmm. on the HD remaster. We know they're on the cave set. Hold hold it. Hold the (laughs) caves. But it's a nice, a really nicely uh, w- way that it's shot. And uh, the smoke machines are not so obviously smoke <laughs> machines. Only when Jordy's looking up at the hole that it's like right. that's a smoke. Machine. But, you know, the wind machines, everything was working. The sound was mixed great. I thought it was well directed. It's no wonder that David Carson would go on and direct the uh, the Generations movie. He directed Emissary, the DS9 pilot. So, like, he's got a style he that works for TV. It worked, looked really great. So kind of exciting. And cool, uh, and then Jordy's on the planet. He's stuck in that hole, and then he LaForges with his <laughs> phaser. Like yes, with he turns some pebbles into picks, and he pickaxes his way out of the hole. That's a great scene to see him be an engineer, but then being action adventure Jordy LaForge. That's great. That's not something Scotty could do. So. <laughs> True. Although Bellana Torres might just use her bare hands and claw um, <laughs> she, just she out, out of rage. Out of rage because she's so angry. <laughs> I really wish they had used Torres's anger more like how they use Harley Quinn's craziness as her superpower. Like it was just more Balana-like. Well, we need to move this, and she just she, <laughs> just, yeah. she just
1: wills herself yeah. by like pushing yeah. her hamstrings yeah. enough to like yeah. launch outside of the cave.
0: Yeah. And we know Chief O'Brien is not climbing out of that hole. He's like, no, nah. <laughs> he's he's winded just rolling over, so he's not getting out
1: of that hole. I honestly like when Jordy was like arranging the pebbles and whatnot. I was like, is he? I couldn't remember what he, he did, but I was like, he must be building some kind of communicator signal booster or something, something like that. Yes, exactly. Which is he's what I would imagine, even O'Brien cooler than
0: that. Yeah, he's doing <laughs> – yeah, you're totally right. O'Brien would just be like, I got a couple of rocks here and some mud uh, and my com badge. I think I can build a transporter of this for I'm sure. I'm going to
1: build a language <laughs> through the neutrinos.
0: <laughs> um, and then – Let's see, uh, Picard. The first time Tomalak appears on the view screen, Tomalak's first words are like a lie. It's like you know, but I'm it's just here. yeah, it's just immediately convers uh, adversarial, I should say. And Picard's not giving an inch, and Tomalak's trying. Tomalak's the one being like, "Oh, Picard," but not in a way in like later seasons because Andreas Katsulis is like a, a pretty good actor here. He's like he's being slimy, but not in such an obviously like this guy's up to he's something kind of way. right? <laughs> he's more like I'm playing it cool because I'm not denying that this doesn't look good for us. Right. So, you know, so I'm just trying to be like, I'm not an aggressor here is kind of his way of doing it. And that looked nice. Um, when Jordy is captured by Bakra, cause they only think that they, the one Romulan they found was the only Romulan. He swears he was, it was one man craft.
1: Right. Uh, but right, then he gets right.
0: captured by Bakra, That first scene, I thought it was nice. It was just a nice turn of events, and and he's holding him hostage. Just a nice performance between the two, because it's like you said, immediately LeVar Burton, he's like pulling the rocks out, pouring the rocks out of his shoes, and like, all right, you got me, buddy. What are you gonna do? <laughs> that kind of thing. He's like, so cool. Pressure.
1: <laughs> he's like trying to like say something like, "Don't you hate it when you got rocks in your shoes?" or something like that. And I was like, "What is yeah. this? Uh, <laughs> is this uh, Anakin Skywalker talking about Sandy yeah. at the beach?" Uh- <laughs> He's just—he's really trying to play it cool and like connect with him on anything. And Bakra is just a, I, I put it down here. I was like, he's just a jarhead. He's just a military jarhead huh? yep. who's just like, ah, I win. I—I I captured your flag. And he's like, okay, cool, man.
0: <laughs> um, I got Picard telling Tom Lock that no Romulan warship should cross into Federation space unless it's prepared to do battle. Uh, and then Tom Lock tries to pull the whole you value territory more than life and picard's like i'm singularly impressed with your uh with your dedication to a life but yeah it's just basically it's an escalation of everything they're both showing another side of themselves and picard's really affirming like i'm not backing down motherfucker, so back off
1: right and it, 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 it's kind of a testament to like where the romulans and the fe- federation are just in their own relationship with like he's like uh, just stay there i've got some people down on my planet i'll come meet you in a minute and he's like uh no i don't trust you with this especially with my people yep. and um and i i love that picard continues to shut him down and he's like you're going to have to trust me and we're doing the best we can for everyone
0: and I like the Geordie and Bakra scene. I liked all their scenes where, you know, you're blind and your parents let you live. <laughs> it's
1: like, Dude, you know, that like... line I wrote down, I was like, okay, caveman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so interesting how, like, the Romulans are very, like, I mean, I guess it's sort of similar to how the Klingons were first presented to like very caveman mentality, like barbaric. Yeah. Yeah. Very barbaric, you know, like very, like we kill the people who are weak type of thing. Um, And just sort of how the relationship with the federations, this feels like a turning point, at least in their relationship.
0: But then on top of that, because it's still three season three of TNG, not later on and not in some of the newer shows, they give him the Bacra, a moment of grace that works and it doesn't rob yes. from our hero, where the electromagnetic interference is like, it's basically giving them Alzheimer's, right? It's like degrading their neurons. So Jordi's now not able to communicate with his visor, his visor signals aren't reaching his brain. And so now they're like, well, how do we get to this neutrino detector that Wesley Crusher has cleverly really set up, uh, yes. which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, and 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 he's basically like, well, I guess that's that. We're not going anywhere. And Bach was the one that's like, do all you because he had just said, oh, you let your your blind babies live. No wonder your people are weak. And then he go and then he adds on to that and says, do humans give up so easily? And yeah. it's just that one little push where and then because and then we see that he's like a fully realized person he's like you're all weak you give up so easily he's like he kind of like tries to think about it a little beyond that can't you do something and it's and then, can't of you course, connect we, your yes, communicator with yes. your
1: visor. And then, like, because oh,
0: it's man. a well-written show, and Jordy's still our hero, and they don't need to make someone look bad to elevate someone else, which is a problem with modern television—not any particular show, but just modern television. Uh, Jordy is it, it, because he's not looking at him as just an enemy. I don't have to listen to. He's like having a conversation, and he goes, "Wait a minute, you're right. Okay, we can't do that. Wait, we can do that." And then he gets an inspiration, and then they work together together to get out of their jam and that's what star trek's all about and that's what good dramas are all about good writing how they overcame their differences
1: and that that's the thing that especially like in the comparison of modern day writing versus this version of writing i i i was thinking in a modernistic way of writing where i was like it's convenient that one of the romulans dies and yet they have another one down on the planet and I was like, they could just switch them out and just be like, it's the, Rom- it's the only Romulan we thought we had. You said it was a one-man ship. And I feel like modern day writing would have gone that route where it's like, well, was there another? Should we be looking for more? Instead of that, Picard is just full on truthful the entire time, which is the biggest risk, yet has the most stakes in the whole episode of like, yeah, that dude died, but we do have another one. That no. apparently was in this quote-unquote one-man <laughs> ship.
0: I love the way he pauses. bitchy way. This, yeah, the way he goes, one-man ship. <laughs> so, he's like very clipped. It's great. Oh, yeah. uh, so I, I think quite a lot of the scenes were pretty great in this episode. A, a good sign yeah. <laughs> if you're yeah. enjoying it right away. Uh, best Trek tropes. Caves! Go, Caves! Katie!
1: <laughs> I was like, I just like, but, uh, but I, I made a note uh, like the very first trope we see is uh, that they're down on a planet with a bunch like with the storm and they split up and you never split up. And I was like, there's going to be a cave in this, isn't there? I forgot about the cave. And then the cave happens. And I was like, it's a cave episode, just like Lower Dex was talking about and joking about one of the best Lower Decks episodes is when they do the cave episode where they're like, we always got a cave episode (laughs) good stories happen in caves um it's essentially it's star trek's version of a bottle episode where you're not solely on the ship um but you can change around your different perspectives while being in a cave Mm -hmm. um and discovering new things about humanity and alien life alike Um, and your enemy (laughs) <laughs> and your enemy, and yes. your enemy.
0: <laughs> I thought they were very cinematically shot this time around. The Very nice use of the caves.
1: Right. And we had different angles of the different caves. So it felt like we were in different areas for sure. Like we, we escaped caves, we went back into caves. We had everything. different
0: levels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yep. So it, it didn't feel like just one, you know, flat set that we just shot (laughs) in different ways. I I
0: think adding the water in and the mud, just all these other things in there made it feel more real for sure.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, the production quality on this episode in particular was really good. Um, and And the reasoning, everything I you probably already know where I'm going with this, but everything on this episode was like a pure banger, including the dialogue, including um, the character development. Um, You know, we also get our our Trek trope of, um, you know, at the last minute, Wesley comes up with a nice sciencey idea. And of course, Picard has to say, Make a show.
0: Yes, <laughs> so He does the point even. He yes. me <laughs> make a uh, <it> show. <laughs> I had the I had that as well, but I also had Wesley Crusher coming up with the idea. Remember, this new showrunner, writing staff making the show more mature they're inheriting wesley crusher and all that like this boy genius stuff i'm like i thought this was a serious show we've got we've got a 12 year old on the bridge like how do we use that and i think in season three they kind of settled into wesley would would have the out of the box idea that would actually help along in the earlier seasons it was like it was mostly about the crazy thing wesley was doing or like he was always coming in at the last minute to save the day and right. here he just comes up with the idea of like, well, maybe if Jordy's still down there, we can send them this beam. Then he can let us know he's okay until we can get to him. And that was it. But he had an, like an interesting idea of uh, uh, to do that. And so I put it as a best trick trope because it's not him being obnoxious; that's using him to the best of his utility. I think
1: right. It's it's top of intelligence reasoning, yeah. and that like you, that's the thing, especially with troy and with wesley we didn't always get that we didn't get top intelligence for their solving of an issue we kind of got whiny different ways but for this episode especially, it was nice because, you know, we didn't get a shut up, Wesley. We got, like, an actual good solve. <laughs> okay. And, of course, Jordy of all people, was just like, I know this is Wesley. Like,
0: ah, you, <laughs> he you signed his word. <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, any other best trick troops? I have a couple more.
1: Um, I Just uh, Worf just being so categorically Klingon um I <laughs> just like in general, yeah like uh, like when Riker says what if someday the Federation made peace with the Romulans and Worf goes impossible <laughs> 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 like there's no thought in his mind that that is ever a possibility and that just feels so categorically Klingon to me um and um I will say sort of it, it, it is in a way a trek trope, but like in the twist element of it. But the fact that the Romulan on aboard the ship, aboard the Enterprise, it actually dies um, was such a, was such a, I was like, I couldn't remember when I rewatched this. I was like, he does die, right? Like the guy does die. Um, but I love that they put a character in jeopardy and they actually kill him because that's not always something that like they would do. They kind of kept characters safe. And everything ended up with like a nice neat bow at the end where it's like this one, it, it got a little murky and almost caused a war. And I love that about it. Like it was good reasoning. We had uh, great plotting and then you kill a character that you kind of want to die <laughs> anyway.
0: I was going to say, I kind of wanted to say it in the other scenes, like it actually, it it almost felt like it could have been Worse, if they had really stepped on or really pushed down on the idea that he was a bad dude, because the first thing he does is he tries to kill Warf. He tries to strangle him, and then Warf's like, "They want me to see you and look you in the eyes because they think I can save you." And then they really—he just is like, "I would rather die Die. than have 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 your blood, my my blood. Come here, come closer, so I can like strangle you you with my last breath." (laughs) And that's the last time we see him. But it's like as a best trek trope making the conflict very clear instead of murky because yeah. i think the conflict is not should you save this bad person's life it's should you treat this your this person as a person even though he's your enemy that's mm-hmm. the premise of the idea so the fact that he's he hates worf and wants to kill worf the dilemma is like give even that do you yeah. is it still ethical to withhold treatment, that kind of thing. Like because he presents no immediate threat to you. He's there in the bed. He can't do anything. So I thought it really worked. Um
1: it really did. It really did. Yeah.
0: I got the weird planet, the electromagnetic soup uh, where it's like oh, literally yeah. breaking down their neurons. It's I'm like I'm pretty
1: the... sure uh Strange New Worlds had a very similar opening episode <laughs> with like the storm and the electrical
0: Yeah, uh that's true. And but I mean it just made me go like oh, those planets like Florida. It's right. just like it breaks your brain <laughs> the longer you're in it. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> um, well
1: that's the name of the planet. Got yeah, it. Yeah, okay.
0: that's right. Uh, Galondin Corda for something <laughs> in uh, so Florida. Florida. Yes. I also like the physiological differences as a trope, kind of in a way. You always had McCoy whenever he come across an alien, and because they didn't have like specific medical verbiage, is like, "Dang, if I can tell, but his livers, where his throat is, or whatever." You know, it's like <laughs> it always be some version of that. And here we get like a more subtle one. Uh, and Doctor Crusher's like, "We thought it would be like working on Vulcans, but there are subtle differences. Too many of them for us to do anything like really helpful right now." So I like that as like a little bit of a trope, just to show Romulans and Vulcans—they're not that similar. They—they they are emotional, and their blood's not quite the same. Not I quite the same. same, and I no. and
1: I do love that Beverly explains to both Riker and Picard, like I can't replicate this in a replicator because it's like <laughs> the atoms are too complex, and it's like okay, so they're like it feels like they the writers are giving a note to the audience, like. We can't replicate everything. Okay.
0: Yes, yeah. But I also like the idea of men being like, "Ah, oh, just replicate it."
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like the Dungeons and Dragons joke. Uh, you know, just use magic; it's fine. It's like, it doesn't work like that.
0: Just magic that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I also liked when they launched the probe that Wesley made because I just like that shot of the ship. It shows the scale of the Enterprise. And I, as a kid, I was always like, wow, the Enterprise is so big. Now I'm watching on right. my big TV. I'm like, is that scale totally right? That's a – we see the probe. It's much smaller. The Enterprise is a very big ship. So anyway, yeah. I just – I still like it anyway. Um, and then I liked uh, the Captain's Log when they come back from commercial for Act 1 because it was a good one of those – the original series would be like you come back from commercial and Kirk would have his hands up and guns pointed at him, and it would be like, Captain's log, we've come to a planet. Okay, when is he recording this? Right, but it's, right. I like the next generation, I like this version because they, uh, Riker and uh, Worf and the Romulan have beamed back up to the ship, but LaForge is on the planet, and Picard's Captain's log is like setting it up. It's like, uh, in case you were unclear, we came to this planet answering an unknown distress call, and lo and behold, we found a Romulan on the planet, and now one of our officers is trapped on the planet. So I don't know. I just I like Captain. It was Volk a good, It was a good little scary. recap. Yeah. Yes. yeah. No,
1: it's funny how we kind of forget that. Because there there was like one weird cut, and I was like, "Oh, that's because that was a commercial break cut." Yes, (laughs) Um, and like it's such a, I mean, we have the entire series of next gen on uh, digital copy, so like we can watch it anywhere or wherever, and you you forget that like that was your chance to go run into the bathroom and then come back and be like. Oh, oh yeah, a little a little a previously I on this episode that <laughs> yeah. was like two seconds ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it wonderfully done. Um, and th- that's one of the things that I also really love about Star Trek is that they still, like they don't hold your hand necessarily as like middle America, but they will help you along in case, you know, you're like unclear about something. It's a very clear written, clearly written yeah. episode.
0: Worst Trek tropes.
1: Um, <laughs> Riker being a bitch. Uh,
0: <laughs> he's so petulant. He's so shouty. <laughs> he's,
1: so, he's so shouty, and he's so like when Riker gets judgmental, he just like he feels so holier than thou, and um. I, I love that scene with Warford and Riker because it, it it's such a credit to Michael Dorn and his acting. Um, but Riker's just like, come on, man, like, do the progressive thing. Like, just give him the blood. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, and like, wouldn't you want someone to do that for you type of thing? And he's like, not if he was my enemy. Absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> like, That's great. the other Trek trope is just it's splitting up stop splitting up you never split up I, like that was the thing that i like you
0: never split up bring a bigger away team so you can at least be in pairs or something yeah
1: something something. and it's like of course like in and raker on the way back he's like oh we gotta find jordy and then he's like you know what jordy stay here we're like you don't even know where he is and uh, but yeah um <laughs> Th- those were my two main ones. I didn't have a whole lot for this episode.
0: Mine was simply breaking Romulan code. So um, they accept Tomaloc's message to the planet. He's like, hey, where are you? Where, where, respond. And uh, and they're able to intercept it and then watch the message. It's basically balance of terror. It's the same exact thing. Um, and, that, and remember in that episode, that's how we're able to see what the Romulans even look like because no one knew what a Romulan looked like. I don't know. It just seems like the Romulans... Because the way they're talked about, they're technologically as advanced as the Federation, and in some cases, perhaps more advanced. So. Yeah. And just the breaking the code, you know, uh, it's a bad trope. The, the, it kind of undercuts the Romulans when you're like, we can just intercept their message and decode it. Because remember, right. they, they didn't know what the distress signal was. They couldn't was, identify oh, who it was who from. from, yeah, who it was from, but like the Romulan one. No, we got it, so uh, well, we it's figured this, to yeah,
1: we, we figured out the one coming in, just not the one going out,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, anyways, that was that was my one. Uh, most of its time quality, um,
1: 1989.
0: Katie is four years old, three years uh, old. No, three, I'm not two born. years old, two years old, <laughs> all right.
1: <laughs> I'm two years old, so I didn't see this when it came out. I, I yeah. definitely saw it on reruns and and uh, on digital later. I don't really know.
0: <laughs> oh, mine was the the score, which I actually thought was a good score, but the synths and the way they they deployed the music that was it was a very of its time score. And it, and then another sign of why season three is probably the best season of next generation. And I know people are, that's not to say there aren't great episodes after that. I'm just saying like top to bottom, start to finish is probably the best season, but it was also the last season of the show where Rick Berman and co Peter Lord's and like, they allowed the, the composers to like make themes and do mm. things with the music so that's why it sounds kind of interesting versus what it is later on you know later on like it's just da, na, da, da. and this one's like doo, 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 doo. like it's got right. some it's got a beat to it or it's got a little thing going on a little but it's, action yeah. upbeat
1: to it yeah but it's
0: very 80s almost like wise guy hunter doo, doo. Like, it's very right. network television and television anyway um, I
1: will but, I will say maybe to this effect, then the uh, the rocks falling and hitting uh, not baccarat. What's his name? uh
0: baccarat, Yeah, Bakra. <laughs> <Baccarat, yeah. laughs> perfectly
1: him, sound Romulan name. name. A
0: perfectly yeah. fine Romulan <laughs> name.
1: Yes, but like the 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 like very clearly styrofoam rocks, almost knocking him out. Like that was that felt very of its time yeah. uh, for the effect.
0: I liked both the falls in this episode, though. Good stunt falling. Remember, the yeah. Jordy stunt guy has to yeah. fall and has to make sure that the visor pops off when he pops falls. Off. And that was great. Um, and then has to also scale the wall, which was cool. Oh, nice. I forgot a best Trek trope. Shoot. I knew I was going to forget one. Uh, using the phaser for n- unconventional means. That's a mm-hmm. great best Trek trope. I, we liked in the original series whenever they use it to, like, heat the rocks because they're cold. And this right. one, Jordy uses as a forge. It's great. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Now it's time for the line must have drawn here. Great lines.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. So I, I literally wrote this down and then have like a, a caveat at the end, but um, it's the scene with Worf and Riker and I almost transcribed the entire scene, but the fact that he starts out with, I am asked to give up the very lifeblood of my mother and father to those who murdered them. And Riker says, so you blame all Romulans for that. Worf says, yes. Riker says forever. Worf pauses, looks at Riker. I put, I have chills. Riker says, what if someday the Federation made peace with the Romulans? Worf says, impossible. And then Riker says, that's what you people said a few years ago about humans. And then I put, I can't transcribe it all. I mean, actually I could. That's one of my day jobs, but I'm not going (laughs) to do that here. (laughs) Anyway, Riker (laughs) argues with Worf and he's being a non-progressive little (laughs) bitch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I just I, I thought that was such a beautifully written scene. Everyone had great moments. The line delivery was so great. I, I love how he says impossible. Um the uh, the other lines I have um oh, where is it? Jordy Jordy just like has so many action person lines in this <laughs> in this episode. Like his his little badass line I never lie when I've got sand in my shoes. <laughs> Commodore. <laughs> yeah. I was like that feels way more badass than it should be.
0: <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying like Jordy was like an action figure in this episode it was it pretty really great. Was. Yeah. And you
1: know I I wasn't sure if it was like his audition tape to like do more action movies outside of this. I I wasn't clear on it but it was it was wonderfully done. Um and then Bakra's line then I will be your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) So, and like, that might be a little bit of its time too, but like that, just like such a moment, uh, like a push in on him. that I will be your eyes.
0: Um, Those are all great lines. This is one of those episodes where it's like really quite a lot of, it's just a well-written episode top to bottom. Every scene has some gem in it, something that really is, Uh, not obvious and it kind of pushes the character of the story forward in a different way i just you just made me think that Riker wharf scene i'm like there's a part of me that's always like humans you know kirk the kirk era they had the war discovery era there was the war and they obviously the way the klingons are portrayed if we you know go down the line like those are some really nasty klingons and obviously it's hard but there's a version of me where it's like You know, especially in Deep Space Nine or later on in Next Generation where it's like they're hanging out with Worf and then you meet some other Klingons. It's like, Garon seems cool. Some of the, like, the humans are probably like, we like you. Like, I bet that's what happened. The Klingons are like, you just are someone to conquer. And we're like, well, we're not going to let you do that. But we'll like you. <laughs> but, like, you seem kind of cool. And the Klingons were like, hmm, we can't beat them in battle. But they do seem, they like us. That seems good enough. I wonder if that's what it came down to. You guys have some pretty interesting tech. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know. Anyway, uh, I only really had two because I thought that you quoted a whole scene and you could have done that. With so many parts, but yeah. uh, along the lines of Jordy being an action figure in this one, <laughs> at, right after he's captured and he's cleaning out the rocks in his boots, he says, Welcome to Galornden Core, where no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. Uh, it was nice. And then I liked... I mean, Worf's line is, is just amazing. It's his character. It tells you what the episode's about, and it's something... You just don't see on TV where one of the stars of your show, one of the heroes, Beverly Krish is like you. There's something in your blood that could save his life, and Worf stands up and just says, "Then he will die." He will die. <laughs> <laughs> that's some so Darth good. Vader shit but he's our hero it's amazing yeah
1: <laughs> you know and it's like it, it gives so much depth to that character yeah. um I, I did and especially the delivery of that was great I forgot there was one last one it's the last line of the episode um but it's Picard saying brinksmanship is a dangerous game and then yeah. I was like do I know what brinksmanship is and I had to like google it oh <laughs> but like
0: Bay of Pigs sorry yeah the, yeah the Cuban Missile Crisis yeah that's yeah. Uh, that's how i learned it in school but yeah the that uh, i mean we're kind of short shrifting the all the picard stuff like everything in this episode it's kind of motivated this leads us right into the anton caridian award i think a lot of what makes uh the episode pop is, is the writing and, it, and that gives them a floor for everyone to have great performances the trick with star trek the next generation katie and please correct me if i'm if you think i'm off base here you could give the Anton Kudrian award. You could say the best actor in any episode of Next Generation is probably Patrick Stewart. You're right. probably gonna be right. Majority. 10 times world. out of yeah. 10. Yeah. And in this episode, I think it it's not an episode people think of as a Picard episode, and I'm not actually saying he should win it. I'm actually saying he does such an amazing job though that it's like we can't ignore it. It's like it's a really great Picard episode or at least a great Picard performance. Uh, And it does give us a different side of his command structure. But who do you actually have? Is it Patrick Stewart?
1: It's Michael Dorn.
0: Okay. It's Michael Dorn
1: all the way. I I mean, like, it just, the way he down, like, he he doesn't overplay it. It, Like, his reasoning is solid. He's he's completely his character through and through. He doesn't, there's like an old writing uh, thing where it's either you, the character, have to change, or the character has to, um, or or the people around the character changes, like in terms of like writing a story, and I feel like to an extent, Michael Dorn's performance, the characters around him have to change, and it's not in a way that you expect, and I th- I think that's such a wonderful steadfast performance. Um, and agreed, all supporting credit goes to Picard and to Geordie, absolutely. I I still think that this is a Warf episode. Like this isn't even a Jordy episode. This what a great, see, we
0: could have just had this as the main debate because for thirty five years, this episode in my mind has been a Jordy episode. Right. But when you rewatch it, it is like fundamentally, well, hold on a minute. What's going on on the planet is the action stuff, which nice. gets supported by the Picard stuff. But in the middle is the Star Trek story going on and it's with Klingons and Romulans. And I think I have to just say, I have to go. I agree with you. It's Michael Dorn wins it because I think you're totally right in that he's Worf, but it's kind of like a weirdly understated performance. It's almost like he's playing it. And I don't know if he actually was, but this is just me filling in the gaps. It's almost like he's playing Worf going like, I know this is going to piss everyone off. (laughs) And I don't want, I'm not trying to piss them off.
1: No. And he's not trying, he's not trying to start a war. He, but like he, he'll be
0: be happy to fight in a war.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, and and that's the thing is that Worf, we've seen him very physical. He's always been, he's been the action hero for all seasons. And this is the one time that he's the political hero, but not, he's like, he's, he's a political steadfast in a way. He's and the libertarian
0: just, icon. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess I don't know. I don't know.
1: <laughs> but it, it's like it. You you get a weird feeling from it where you're like, I I'm not huge on his decision, but I also do not blame him for st- holding steadfast to his morals. I think, yeah,
0: I mean, in terms of like the character, the the way it's written, that's kind of one thing. It's it's just kind of like the way you're saying the way you've described Dorn's performance the whole time, like. He could have played it with angst. He could have played it as obnoxious or gruff in like the way he does in later seasons. You know, and that happens with every TV show. Folks, it doesn't matter what show you watch. Like you'll notice and you'll probably you're aware of it as soon as I mention this. Uh, the characters become caricatures of themselves later on down the line. Whatever my, uh subtlety Michael Scott had in the first three or four seasons of <laughs> the office, it's gone by the time he's off the show. You know, sure. like it just happens with every show it happened with the next generation. Like by the end of, by the seventh season, everyone's on autopilot. Everyone knows what everyone's going to say. So subtlety is gone. And so warf the, We've already mentioned this, like the wharf in Picard is not the wharf in this one. The wharf in Deep Space Nine, he's different wharfs. But I would even say the wharf of season six or seven would not have been able, would not have either been written or performed as the way he's performed here. And it's just subtle enough. What I love about the Burton performance, though, because it needs to be highlighted, is it's the range. Like it's it's all like he's doing all of it. And I think, but it's still to your point. Worf probably had the toughest role because it would have been so easy to hate Worf in this episode, or to come out of this one with people disliking him. And I, I got to be honest, I, in all my years of fandom, I don't think I've ever. No, no one's had a bad thing to say about Worf. And no, then this episode, no. everyone's kind of like, we kind of get it.
1: Man, if I was Picard, I'd be like, okay, your order, your order stands. You have to give them the whatever from your blood or, or whatnot, because I'm not starting a war because, you know, your parents yeah. got hurt. But I love that Picard doesn't do that. I It's just because that's the most magnanimous thing. It's like, I hope that you make the right decision, but I also understand uh you know i can't i can't do this i i'm not going to order you to do this and i have so much more respect for him after that um just as a character and as an actor um it, it's such a beautiful performance and then you know picard calls down to the the, the uh, med wing or whatever and she's like hey, ah, yeah. it's not a big deal he's already dead so don't worry yeah. about
0: it <laughs> yep you know it sounds like they were all in on this yeah. Of like we need to try to convince them, and then Picard's like, let's stop trying to enlist Worf self with this. Um, yeah. But you're right, and so he gives her that order: stop doing that. Like that's an order. Um, so I thought that was interesting. You're totally right, but we agree. Michael Dorn for this one, uh, an mm. incredible performance that gives the I think it gives the whole concept, the episode itself, its center. LeVar Burton's doing non babble shit for once. And he's not just like attached to whatever data is going through. He's right. got his own journey, his own story, his own crisis for himself that he's dealing with. And he's also representing humanity and the Federation and all that stuff. He's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders too. He's fucking cool as a cucumber though. Cause he's Geordi LaForge early season three. And he's showing off his muscles to another that's guy. Right.
1: And it just,
0: <laughs> two dudes in a cave all right so the shatner then who do you have
1: i have Jordy laforge for this
0: <laughs> oh wow i do oh my gosh like, you I'm thought like, he was not, going for it not a negative okay you just thought he was going for a, like, it not
1: in a negative way but it just like some of his deliveries like like you know i can't see <laughs> i can't you know it, like he just he just went full hog and especially it, it's the the sand in the boots line i was like okay you're being hard i guess <laughs> it just yeah, it, he's not gonna felt, let
0: this asshole see him sweat that's for sure right yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: i mean like there, there was like a moment where you know the uh, background was like oh you know i'm uh, you're my prisoner now i'm gonna like you know take it and he just kind of gives him this look like oh, okay sure which i thought was like really committed and awesome but everything else felt like sort of well, Shatner-esque with his, like, I'm cool now, don't you know? Like, don't worry about this. We're going to work together. <laughs> it just
0: fine ha- cool. I had to give it to John Snyder as Centurion Bakra. Oh, I mean, because yeah. that performance okay. is, he's swinging for a home run on every line delivery. And... I don't yeah. think it's a bad performance and I don't think you're saying that the LeVar Burton no. performance is bad. Um, but I, I think I see, I'd, I'd I see what it's you're saying. It, there's a swagger going on there. And I think the Bachra one is like, wait, I'm the bad guy, right? Well, I got to be a bad guy and then kind of like balance that at some point. But you have the, then I will be your eyes. Like That's all true. this yeah. stuff is very Shakespearean directed and your parents let you live. Live, like yeah. That kind of stuff. So it just that kind of thing was, and the way he moves, like I remember his eyes very much from like all these years. So just for me, it always stuck out as, really going for it. And what really blew my mind, cause I didn't actually know this until doing the research for this show. This episode was that he will be on the show later in the masterpiece society. And he's like the milk toast dude from the, Perfection colony that has a relationship, a little fling with Troy, and I'm like, what? No way! That's the same guy. Well, then he was definitely going for
1: it. Okay, then. Okay, then. maybe I. You, you may have changed my opinion on this because I mean, the thing that also kind of saved it for me was when he decides to tell the truth to Tomilak, or he's just like, no, they've actually been treating me very well. Like, yes, like, and I thought that was a very sincere performance but and just goes, to so balance
0: your your idea out there actually even more because you just made me realize he's playing an alien so yeah. the actor is probably processing as well i need to play this as an alien and both and the other romulan the injured romulan is as pitched as he is he oh, just yeah. he just hates he sees a klingon he wants to kill him yeah. so, <laughs> and their their performances are of a kind for sure um right. I just thought he was really like every line. I got to hiss it out or I, you know, I got to be shaking or something. So that was my whole thing. But you're right. I mean, but I liked all of, I think it's because we're just used to Jordy sitting yeah. and saying like warp it's six. The di- yeah. yeah, exactly. And this yeah. one, he's like patting him on the shoulder going, yes, we did it. And he's like yeah. excited. He's got emotions. And I he's just like, just, I like saying little him. Broad,
1: yeah. He's a little broad out than like what we expect of Jordy." And I think fair that's fair. Fair it it felt like, It felt almost like a career decision where he's like, I want to be written like this more, and then it just felt like he kind of pushed a little too hard on (laughs) that.
0: Uh, an honorable mention must go to the first half of, half of the episode with Jonathan Frakes. He's yelling at everybody. He's yelling at O'Brien. Well, beam up one of those ghosts. One of them might be Jordy. It's like yes. calm down, all right? He's yelling at this crashed Romulan. Doctor Crusher's like he's in delicate condition. I can bring him around for a few minutes. And Riker's just shouting at him. He's just yelling <laughs> in his face. And
1: he's just like, "What are you doing down there?" And he's like, "What are you?" Oh, I love, I loved how he basically did everything that every jailhouse lawyer tells you to do and he's like I do not answer questions I do not answer questions
0: <laughs> uh, so what part of this will they teach at Starfleet Academy
1: um, I you know I feel like it has to be Picard's decision it, like that's the thing that is just the most honorable like you like can the
0: ethics class of the, the ethics eth- class okay. yeah.
1: yeah like you can't force someone to do what you consider is the right thing and It is lucky as hell that they did not end up in a war with the Romulans because it was so easily could have been. Um, And the fact that that Picard doesn't lie to Tomalak the entire time, he's like, yeah, your dude died, but we've got another one. And we're in a stalemate at the moment. And if I, I, I could totally blow your ship to smithereens but i have to lower my shields in order to beam them up safely so this is on you on whether or not you're listening to my words or not um
0: or and- if you're true to what you said because remember earlier picard's saying i don't i don't really believe don't that you're in <laughs> yeah. one life but now he's like well now i need to see is that just bullshit is that a yeah. posture is he serious yeah. um and that was yeah i think that's great you know i guess there's a part of me that's like I'm perceiving it through a modern lens. Mm. I think in the modern lens, they're not teaching that part because it's not something that a lot of people know about. Mm-hmm. This incident, I think the, the the newspaper read of it would be, you know, there was an incident at Galonde and Cole. And, <laughs> uh, uh, and you know, two Romulans, one dead, one alive, were recovered and the Romulans came demanding them and, and they held them off. And uh, we rescued them on off the planet. And that's kind of like the bottom line. I, I like to think that yours is correct. I actually just think it'll be like the update yeah. of the Cuban Missile Crisis brinksmanship situation. That's a whole of, that, yeah.
1: that I mean, like I was like, this is like the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like that yeah, was yeah. the the one thing that I could like relate it to because it's just like we're going to trust each other that we're not going to just. Wreck everything
0: with yeah. one wrong move. Now, for no, your well, let's go with yours because I think yours actually has the lesson in it. Whereas the what did we learn from the Cuban Missile Crisis? Because even in school, I'm like what the f- we're talking right. about nuclear missiles. Right. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Glad we have this power. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. But yours is like not just the command structure, but like respecting individual rights. And yeah. you know, obviously, there's almost always going to be external forces on these types of decisions, like the implications, whatever it is, like how it affects even just the community, you know, it's like, these all have knock on effects. How do you study that, especially in the leadership role? So I think that's something you, actionable. You could teach, cadets at starfleet academy that would have a meaningful impact on, on them as opposed I, to just I like, would hope. Oh yeah, this thing happened yeah <laughs> <You're right. laughs> a couple of starship captains whipped out their dicks at the edge of the neutral zone <laughs> like it's a little bit different
1: i went hard at it yeah yeah <laughs> would
0: this episode had been hornier and would that have made it better I'm going to say no, and no. No, no, no. absolutely Um, not. There's no room for horniness in this
1: one. (laughs) Uh, Listen, Troy wasn't at the forefront anymore. That's true.
0: So if Troy is in the episode, is like, are they doing the really hacky version where it's like, Jordy and she and Jordy are off to the side, and he's like, he seems to be into you, and she's like, oh yeah,
1: no, that's that's their cave episode. Is that like <laughs> a weird little <laughs> bam, 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 bam bam like starts yeah. play, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, all right, so trek, marry or kill the enemy.
1: I am going to marry this one. This is I'm such not, a not fan- before
0: I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh man we're gonna have to fight over it That's right.
1: uh, what a wonderful episode i mean like i completely forgot how how great this episode was and to rewatch it was such a joy because honestly like i read some of the descriptions and i was like oh this is a geordie episode i was i was fully prepared for a whiny geordie episode and then i was so pleasantly delighted just by everyone's transition and and all of the writing. It, it was so well done. I cannot wait to watch it again. It's its a great
0: episode. It's probably a bit of um, an overlooked classic. I don't yeah. think... I think when people think about it, they might actually... Some people might remember it even better than we did. And Michael, yeah, that one was pretty good, but it's actually even better than you remember. Right. <laughs> it's, kind of the thing. It's, it's a... Um, it is the next generation's balance of terror. And that's not to say that it's as good necessarily, but it's really, really fucking it's good.
1: Really, it, I mean, <laughs> it, it's no four lights, but you know, no. like it, it's memorable and it does have some really quotable moments.
0: It's a payoff from the neutral zone in season one, where the Romulans are like, mm. we're back. And then we get a bunch of wet farts until this episode. <laughs> and it's like, well, this makes them... It's an attempt- we already said
1: it can't be yeah. hornier, all right? No, it can't, can't be no hornier. More it can be wo- though, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, you know later episodes perhaps don't build off of this quite as well. Nemesis really is a letdown. Where are the Romulans go from here, but this is a mark of like these are people, these are characters, these are our characters, our people dealing with other people, other aliens. It's a definitely a high point. Um, I love it. It's, a, it's yeah. an amazing episode of Next Generation. Absolutely. All right. So, our two-hander theme month is not coming to an end. Surprise. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's been it ended a month because uh, there, are, there are more episodes involving two characters in conflict. This one had uh, a trio of two characters in conflict. Uh, but we're going to do uh, another Deep Space Nine. It's going to be Armageddon game. It's the one where O'Brien and Bashir are stuck on a planet together, just trying to survive, kind of broing out. Uh, O'Brien's got a, a disease now. He's kind of sick. Uh, I'll be joined by Cliff Worthington, the editor in chief of the T- film and TV website, the spool to discuss it. We had earlier on, uh, Andrew Bloom, Bloom earlier in the month, uh, another contributor from the spool. So I'm getting everyone on that list, I guess, but, uh, yeah. but a few years ago, Cliff wrote for star trek.com, uh, an article that examined the queer aspect of O'Brien and Bashir's friendship, not saying that they were queer, but that it had queer components to it. Uh, and so he'll be around to lend that perspective. And um, on an episode that's going to be turning 30 years old, this one's 35, wow. that one's 30. It's pretty crazy. Oh, and Katie, man. you're coming back February 1st for our monthly animated spotlight. And what is now without question, the most controversial episode of Trek, Mary kill ever, and maybe forever. Really? We, we split both of our decisions for both episodes.
1: I mean, it's... yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you, a lover of lower decks, and I, I love come it. at I come at you with it. I love this episode, and you're like, "What the." F- is wrong with you <laughs>
1: <laughs> listen we as we all know with star trek some things are hit some things are missed and you know if it wasn't for the koala
0: <laughs> it is not to be missed you got to check it out and of course in the meantime listen to our other episodes but also listen to katie on her podcast napping through happy hours
1: Thank you very much. Yes, uh, Napping Through Happy Hour, where we talk real life, real drama, all in real time. It's a great episode. We're going to have some really good guests this this coming year. We're very excited. And uh, take a listen anywhere you get your podcasts, um, all through the Geekscape Network. And then you can also find me all over town, but um, at the Pack Theater every other Wednesday with Nothing Burger performing live in front of your eyes. If you're there, it's cheap. (laughs) Go see it.
0: Yeah, go see it. So thanks for listening. And until next week, TMK out.